Well, good morning and happy Lent to all of you as we begin this Lenten season. It's a great opportunity to do this talk today that many of you have been writing for a long, long time, and we finally get a chance to do this. And what a great time of year to see what the apostles gave and why they gave up what they did um, as, uh, as our first men of the faith after the passing of Jesus Christ. And so today we're excited to have you with us for this talk on who were the 12 apostles, what happened to them, what did they do after Jesus died, and how did they die? And so what a fascinating talk. I had a lot of fun putting this together. Um, I went back to some of my old homilies. I went back, Father uh, or uh, Chris Sparks, our theologian, helped out on some of the research. And this is just a great, um, a great topic to learn and be inspired. So let us begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask through the intercession of all 12 apostles, that these saints may um, ask or beg your mercy upon us here on the earth and to give us the example of how to live mercy in our lives. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm going to do a little summary that you maybe have heard me talk about some of the apostles before, but then the rest of it is all new stuff. We're going to go through each of the 12 apostles. I'm going to walk you through, and I just realized something very interesting. Our statues are not appeared to be bolted down. They seem to be placed on these shelves. And the order that the Bible gives the apostles is the same in every book. There's a certain order of apostles. I think I'm going to readjust the order here. I'm going to talk to Father Matthew because they are in a different order. But we're going to walk through you, with you, each of the 12 apostles and what, who they are. Okay, now the Greek word apostolos um, is, we all think of it as meaning one who is sent out, and this is true. The actual meaning is ambassador, ambassador. So they were the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And the choosing of these 12 apostles way predates the Bible, what Jesus did. He chose them as the men of the church to be his first living books. And, and not the scriptures, it was these men. And uh, so we're going to talk about this. Now, um, he chose to extend his kingdom here on earth throughout the whole world through his church using humans. And all these letters we get, I don't want anything to do with man. Well, Jesus did. And so I'm going to summarize a little bit of this that you've heard me say before, but then we're going to get into new stuff on the apostles and what happened to them. Now, that famous example, I don't, I'm not a Catholic. I don't believe in the Catholic church because I don't listen to men. Well, yes, but I listened to the teachings of Christ through these very men he chose to teach me. And these men passed it down to our current bishops and cardinals today. And so this is the apostolic college and uh, the magisterium along with scripture, along with tradition. That's exactly what the Jews had. They had the same three tools of their faith. They, they had the scriptures, which was the Torah, the Pentateuch. They had the magisterium, the teaching authority of Moses. And they had tradition that went all the way back to um, the beginning of Abraham and the beginning of the Jews. And so very important. Now, the church, 
therefore is not man-made. We hear that all the time. You belong to a man-made religion. No, this, this faith of the Catholic faith was created by Christ in Matthew 16, 18. Um, it isn't man-made, it is God-made as Jesus passed his authority to these apostles who passed it on to the bishops over the centuries, who have passed it on to the priests, who have passed it on to you. And this is our faith. It isn't, it isn't just a book that fell out of the sky. That book was written by men, and it was the church that discerned what books go into that Bible. You've heard us talk about that. And that is why sacred apostolic tradition, not man-made tradition, sacred apostolic tradition is in the Bible. Ah, where is that in the Bible, Father? 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul said, hold fast to their traditions. I have taught you both oral and written. That's what we believe. And if you only go by written, you're telling, you're telling God that you believe he can write, but he can't talk. And so God speaks to us through apparitions that are proved by the church. Heaven, this is a sacred apostolic tradition that has been passed down for centuries. And the Bible itself says not everything's in the Bible. And so when you hear, I don't follow the teachings of men, you can say, that's great, neither do I. But I follow the teachings of God explained by the very men Christ entrusted to teach me. And it starts with these 12. And so today, Christ gave the authority to us through the apostles. He gave his authority to the apostles who then gave that authority to the church and it has been passed down. Don't believe me? It's in the Acts of the Apostles. And so this is very important. What about 2 Timothy 2, verse 2? 2, 2, 2, 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. What you hear from me entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Well, I refuse to be taught by a man. Well, Jesus picked the men to teach the men, to teach the people who teach you. And this is what we have. Sola Scriptura, which means Bible only, is not in the Bible, but sacred apostolic tradition is, as we just read. Okay, now, there are in the Bible, four different times the apostles are listed, all right, of the 12 in the New Testament. And they're always in the same order. That's why I just pointed out, I'm going to talk to Father Matt about changing the order of our apostles to follow the order in the Bible. Okay, now, in these lists, who is always first? Peter, right? He's always listed first. Who's always last? Judas. Well, Judas isn't on here. He's been replaced with Matthias after Judas betrayed our Lord. And so to suggest that they are arranged in three groups of four, and each group of three has a leader. I'm sorry, each group of four, because there's three groups of four, 12 apostles, has a leader. All right, so in the first group, all right, is Peter. Who follows Peter? Andrew, James, and John. So in every list of the apostles that you will hear or read in the Bible, it lists Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And so that's the first group of four led by Peter. Now, who's the fifth apostle always mentioned? Philip. And he's the leader of the next group of four, which is Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew. 
which is surprising. I thought Matthew and Thomas would have been higher, but no, it's actually Philip. Then in the last group of four, you have James the Lesser, surprisingly. In the first group of four, we have James the Greater. Remember, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. That's James the Greater. Now, down in the last group of four, we have James the son of Alphaeus, who's mentioned ninth. And his group of four is Jude Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas. But now has been replaced by Matthias. And so this is James the Lesser. Not because he's less, but because he was younger. Now, the task of the Twelve was not confined to just speaking words, preaching, but it also involved doing deeds. And Jesus told them to go and make disciples of all nations. So Brother Mark can show our next slide. Here's a fascinating chart that shows each of the saints or the apostles where they went. So look up on your screen. You got James there in Spain. All right, Peter stayed in Rome. Simon the Zealot went up to Macedonia and Greece. Andrew was in Greece. Um, John and Andrew were uh, also in uh, uh, Phrygia. And then you have Armenia was Bartholomew. He was the apostle to the Armenians. Then Thomas, Matthew, Jude, and Simon went out to Parthia. Parthia. India, we think of St. Thomas, but also Bartholomew was out there. You got Peter, John, James, Matthew, James, and Alphaeus in Jerusalem. In Egypt, you got James, the son of Alphaeus, that's James the Lesser, and Simon the Zealot. This is a beautiful little chart, and it, this talk will remain on YouTube, and you'll be able to see where the apostles went after Jesus's death. Okay, now, Jesus told them to go make disciples of all nations, and they did. That was the known world at the time. They had to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. This is the power of the priesthood. And so this is what we do. We priesthood heal the sick and, um, you know, in anointing. We raise the dead in confession. You are spiritually dead in confession. We cleanse the leper. That's the removal of mortal sin. Cast out demons. That's exorcisms. Um, and so all these are to be taken both physically and spiritually. Um, it's a very important role. Now, although these 12 apostles are famous to us, Okay, we know them well. In their own day, they were poor, obscure men, most of whom the local authorities regarded as troublemakers, even criminals. And uh, Jesus doesn't use those who you would think. You've heard me say before, of all the apostles, who was the crudest, rudest, and most foul-mouthed? Peter. And of all the 12 apostles, who was the most sophisticated educated and cultured. Judas, it's not who you think. God doesn't use those ones that you think he would use. And so this is a very interesting way that our Lord works. Now, let's keep going because this, let's get, get into the 12 apostles here because Jesus picked ordinary men to do extraordinary things. I'm going to show you a one minute video. Watch closely. It's quick. And it's going to show you how each apostle died. This is really fascinating. It's a one-minute video on how each of the 12 apostles died. Let's take a look.
Okay, that's a quick video. You probably couldn't catch it all, but we'll keep it up on the YouTube channel. And basically, I tell you what, when you watch that video, you got to ask yourself, did these guys really believe the resurrection was real? Well, they would not have given up their lives for a lie. And either would I, either would you. There is no way that I would have given up house and boat and fiance and dog and all that in business for a lie. You just don't do it. You believe everything. And this faith that Jesus brought us, or you wouldn't give it up. And the apostles gave up everything, their lives, because they weren't going to do it for a lie. They didn't steal the body. Do you think if the apostles stole the body, they'd be willing to die for that lie? They would have been like, uh, see ya, gotta go. Gotta go. We stole the body. Give me my money. I'm out of here. No, these guys labored for decades, decades afterwards. Like St. John labored for 60 more years, 70 more years. Um, and so um, anyway, there's a couple of great resources. Um, I mentioned I, I went back to my seminary notes. We had some great seminary classes on scripture, the apostles, church history. I went to that. Chris Sparks got some research, but there's also Tom Nash on Catholic Answers did Who Are the Twelve Apostles and What Happened to Them. Another great piece of work by Thomas Crawwell. Uh, where are the Twelve Apostles now? We're going to answer all that. Okay, so let's start with the first, St. Peter. Now, St. Peter, on our list, as you'll be showing, if Mark can show the um, apostles, I'm going to be giving you the numbers. So on the left is numbers one through six. So one, two, three, four, five, six are on the left. And then number seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 are gonna be on the right. So we're gonna go through it now. Peter in our list is number six. So he is right next to Jesus on the left-hand side, number six. All right, so Peter, the first, used to be called Simon. Now Jesus calls him Peter, which means rock. Oh, well, remember that in the Bible where Jesus said, you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church. And non-Catholics always say, well, he was talking about himself. Well, then why would he name Peter rock if he wasn't talking about Peter? And so that means rock or stone. He also, in Aramaic, called him Cephas, which also means rock. It means the same thing. John 1, 42 talks about this. Okay, so who were they? Now, Peter, along with his brother Andrew, were fishermen, you know this. Do you know where they came from? Bethsaida, okay? But now Peter lived in Capernaum with Jesus. So Jesus' hometown is Capernaum. Peter and Andrew were from Bethsaida, but Peter moved to Capernaum. And so he was living there in the same town as Jesus. Now it's believed that Peter was not immediately in Rome. After Jesus died, what happened to Peter? He went to Antioch. Where's that? Turkey modern-day Turkey, and there he established the Christian community. Now, he didn't stay there very long, but um, he was the first bishop of Antioch. So before he was even bishop of Rome, he was bishop of Antioch in Turkey. And that, this is important, because after that, they believe he went to Corinth, then to Rome, to form the first Christian community in Rome. Now, here's the story of Peter. Now, obviously, there's testimony in the church that St. Peter was imprisoned when James, the first martyr of the New Testament, James the Greater, we'll talk about him, was killed. He's the only apostle killed in the Old Testament. And that's from Acts chapter 12, verse 3. And what happened after he was killed, Peter was put in prison. 
Now, here's what many of you might not know. 20 years later in Rome, Peter and Paul were killed on the same day, the very same day in Rome. Now, they were both ultimately martyred under Nero. You hear the term circus? That's a Latin term. Now, he was martyred in the circus of Nero in 64 AD. So basically 30 years he preached after Jesus died. And so um, Peter then, uh, this is an interesting story. This is tradition. Now remember, people are going to say to me, you're going to write letters, Father, where do you get all this stuff? It's not in the Bible. This is sacred apostolic tradition. Been passed on from the earliest Christian churches um, through writings, through oral tradition. Now, the story goes how Peter died. He was fleeing Rome to avoid execution. And as he was escaping Rome, he saw Jesus walking into Rome. And he saw Jesus and asked Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to Rome to be crucified again. Basically because Peter wouldn't. He was leaving. He was trying to escape. The town was burning and Nero blamed Peter and Paul for the Christians burning Rome. And actually they didn't. They believed Nero set the fires, the big fires. Now, Peter then, his heart melted. And he wasn't going to deny, deny Jesus again. And so he returned. And Nero crucified Peter and slew Paul on the same day. Okay. As part of the persecution is said for starting a fire, which was false. Now, according to the apocryphal acts of Paul, now they're not in the Bible, but we use them sometimes for history. He was crucified upside down. And so um, we know that about Peter. Now, Christians recovered his body and buried him in a nearby cemetery. Now, the tradition has found where that burial place was. Okay, now where the Basilica of St. Peter is now built was Peter's cemetery. Here's what they know. Okay, the Papal Basilica, all right, of St. Peter is inside the Vatican. Many of you might think of the Vatican and St. Peter's as the same thing. Actually, the Papal Basilica, okay, of St. Peter. St. Peter's is a church, but it's the Papal Basilica is inside the Vatican. So basically, here we have the most famous church. And it was a cemetery before that where people prayed at Peter's tomb. Now, in the year 319, Constantine built a basilica there. And that basilica lasted to 1506. Then it had problems and they built a new one in 1626. That's what you see today. When you go to Rome, you go to St. Peter's, the basilica, that's the one you see built in 1626. Now, here's what happened. In 1939, workmen were digging. They wanted to dig a grave for Pius XI. And so um, in the grotto under St. Peter's Church, the archaeologist and the guy who was digging found a empty space. And it, they discovered it was a tomb containing the bones of, quote, a robust elderly man. Well, that could be anybody, Father. Well, scratched into the tomb wall were countless prayers and petitions to St. Peter. All right, as well as a Greek inscription that read, Peter 
is within. So after years of study, Blessed Paul VI declared in 1968 that the bones in that tomb were those of Peter. Now, how did he die? Executed on a cross, crucified upside down in the year 64 AD, because he said he wasn't worthy to die the same way Jesus did, upright on a cross. All right, let's go to position number 10. That is Andrew, the next apostle listed in the scriptures. Okay, so you have seven, eight, nine, ten. So Andrew's the one with the green, um, uh, the green apostle there in position number 10. Let's talk about Andrew. All right, St. Andrew is the first man Christ called to be one of his apostles. He's the brother of Peter, the very first one called. So the Bible lists Peter first, Andrew second. Now, Andrew and Peter as brothers, together with their friends, James and John, the next two that we'll talk about, were partners in fishing on the Sea of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Now, he <clears throat> was a disciple first of John the Baptist, okay, who introduced Peter to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Now he's the patron saint of fishermen. And the name Andrew in Greek means manly, brave. And so that's what Andrew means in the Greek, manly or brave. And he said that after, it is said that after Christ's ascension into heaven, Andrew also carried the gospel to the lands. Listen to this. Guess where he went? This is the first apostle called. Immediately after the ascension of Christ, guess where he went? Russia and Ukraine. Russia and Ukraine. St. Andrew, pray for that. Pray for us. Pray for them. Right? And so he went to Russia and Ukraine, and he is now the patron saint of those two countries. They share the same patron saint. Come on, guys. Come together. Come together. And so pray for him. Now he founded the uh, See of Byzantium. Now it became, later it became Constantinople in the year 38. It's only five years after Christ died, and he was made the bishop there. Now, in his older age, he went to Greece, where he was martyred in the town of Patros. Now, what happened? All right, local Christians, after he was martyred, buried him. So his remains were buried, but in the year 357, most of his bones were moved to Constantinople, where he had been bishop, okay? Then in 1204, the crusaders found Andrew's shrine and carried his relics back to Italy. Now, in Acts of Andrew, what does it say? He was crucified in the year 60 AD on a cross known as a crux ducosata. It's an X. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, this X-shaped cross is called a saltier cross and is referred to today as St. Andrew's cross. And Andrew requested to be crucified this way, like Peter, because he was unworthy to be killed the way Jesus was killed. And so let's take a look. His relics ended up in Scotland. Let's go to our next slide. This is the Scottish flag. So you know the Scottish flag. You've seen it before. It's the blue, um, it's the blue um, flag with the white X. Now, what's interesting, his relics ended up in Scotland for a time, and that's why Scotland's flag is blue with a white cross. He was crucified on an X, 
not on a perpendicular cross like Christ. We call that now the saltier cross. And those are what's causing all the commotion on flags today. Now the Confederate flag, uh, you know, we, we always all we think of is racism and racism. And, and yeah, I mean, we have to address that, of course, but that was from the past. It was really created as the cross of St. Andrew. And Florida and Alabama flags, state flags had that. And so um, that's who Andrew was. Now in the year 1964, Paul VI returned Andrew's relics to the Greek Orthodox Church, and they are now enshrined in the Basilica over what was believed to be his original tomb in Patras in Greece. So think of St. Andrew when you think of the cross, or the X, I should say, um, on the flags. That's who he was, all right? Let's go to our next slide. James the Great. Now he's in position number eight. So after the picture, you see seven, eight. The next one over from St. John is James the Great. He's in position number eight. Now, James and John were the sons of Zebedee. They were fishermen, and they were partners, as we said, with Andrew and Peter. Now, they had fierce tempers. You know, they were called the sons of thunder. But Scripture conveys that James the Greater was the first and only one mentioned in the Bible who was martyred. Who killed him? King Herod. This is in Acts chapter 12, in the beginning. And here's what happened. King Herod Agrippa had James the Greater killed, struck dead, but soon as he did, King Herod was struck dead by an angel. And we know this from Acts chapter 12, verse 19 through 23. He's the only one martyred that's mentioned in the Bible. Now, soon as he had uh, James the Greater killed, James he was killed himself. So now, today, it is held that James was the first apostle to be martyred for the Catholic faith. It says that there in the Bible. Now, he was the first and only apostle, as I said, whose martyrdom is in the New Testament. How? He was beheaded real early, 44 AD. So only 11 years after Jesus died. He only had 11 years, and he was martyred. Remember when Jesus, James and John approached Jesus and they said, we want to drink the cup that you drink. And he said, do you really think you could do this? Do you really know what you're asking? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us the cup you're going to drink. Well, that was his cup. And so being executed by Herod in Jerusalem, guess why? His fiery temper. He was executed, not for preaching Christ. Well, it was for preaching Christ, but with his fiery temper. And so that's why he was put to death. So he died in 44 AD in Jerusalem. Now his tomb, though, is not in Jerusalem. What happened to him? Well, legend has it that after he died, the angels took his remains on a rudderless ship, unattended boat back to Spain. Why Spain? Because in his earlier years, he labored in Spain for many years after Jesus died and his remains are at St. James de Compostello. Now, that you might recognize because that's a famous place of pilgrimage, right? And we'll talk about that in a minute. But anyway, after his death, his body was miraculously transferred to Spain, as I just said, and then buried in a Christian cemetery. Now, here's what's interesting. The tradition says that the apostles' relics laid there forgotten until the year 814 when a hermit 
named Peleo, followed a star to an open field and uncovered the apostles' remains, which were marked. That could only be the Holy Spirit. And today they are enshrined at the magnificent cathedral. I've been there. St. James and Santiago de Compostelo. That's the one that's the giant thoroughfare, and they swing it, and the incense. It's really amazing. Now, beneath that cathedral, the archaeologists have recently found a first-century Christian cemetery, and that's where he was buried. So his tomb now is a destination point for tons of pilgrims. And you've ever heard El Camino? They made a movie about it with, um, um, I was going to say Charlie Sheen, but definitely not Charlie Sheen, his father. Um, and um, it's about taking that pilgrimage um, that ends at St. James de Compostela, but the El Camino, that, that pilgrimage that you walk, you can do different lengths, is an amazing pilgrimage of faith that many people have done. All right, let's go on. St. John. So we got Peter, James, next is John. He's number seven. He's right to the right of Jesus. Now he's the one that looks so young because he was. All right, St. John is the other brother of Zebedee, or uh, son of Zebedee, brother of John. Um, and he was assigned by Jesus to take his mother Mary into his home. Okay, we know that. Now, James and John said we can drink the cup. We just heard about James being killed for his faith. Now, what about John? Well, they tried. He was boiled in a large basin of boiling oil in Rome, but he survived. He lived to be almost 100 years old, and he lived to almost the year 100. So his cup was just this constant discipline and struggle of the Christian life. That's perfect for us. If you're struggling, pray to St. John. Now, it's quite wrong to think that in our Christian faith, that the cup always means martyrdom. Your cup that God asks you to drink may be long, just your long daily routine, just the grind of daily life, remaining faithful to your family, faithful to your prayer life, despite all the things you got going on, um, all the daily sacrifices and struggles. This is John. He wasn't martyred with blood. But he went through that struggle every day. So tradition holds that he died of natural causes. The only apostle to die of natural causes, where did he die? He died of old age. Where? Some people will say Patmos, but most scholars believe in Ephesus. That's where they believe he took Mary. Now that's modern day Turkey. Now he was the author of the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. And again, the only apostle not to die as a martyr. Now in Revelation, he writes from the island of Patmos in Greece. And as I said, he died around the year 100 AD near Ephesus, though, modern Turkey. Now, in the fourth century, after Constantine put an end to the persecution of the church, Ephesian Christians built a chapel over his tomb. Now, in the fifth century, Emperor Justinian replaced that chapel with a grand basilica. Well, a few centuries later, the area was conquered by Muslims and the basilica was converted to be a mosque. And then it was destroyed in 1402, kind of the sign of just when we let sin take us over and destroy us. Now in the 1920s, 
An archaeological team from Greece and Austria excavated the remains of the basilica and they found John's grave. So this is in Ephesus of Turkey. But the tomb was empty. Nobody knows what happened to his body. So you, don't, you won't really find relics of St. John like that. If they are, they may be not authentic. I believe I've heard and I've read that there are some that the church has and had distributed that are authentic, but the majority of his remains in his tomb, empty, gone. All right, so that's the first group of four apostles, led by Peter, followed by Andrew, his brother, and James and John, the two brothers. Now let's get into the next group of four, led by Philip. And Philip is in the number two slot. Okay, number, Philip is number two. Now, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke give no details about Philip. Only the Gospel of John does. Okay, Philip also came from Bethsaida, just like Andrew and Peter. And it was Philip who first introduces Nathaniel to Jesus. Now, who was Nathaniel? Well, in John, he's called Nathaniel, and the others, Bartholomew. So Bartholomew and Nathaniel were the same man, two different names. So Philip brings Nathaniel to Jesus, just like Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. But nobody brought Philip to Jesus. Jesus came right to Philip, like Andrew. Now, according to Butler Book of the Saints, the sacred tradition, Philip was among those who were at the wedding of Cana. So there's Philip at the wedding of Cana. You can see the power of Our Lady. And during the Last Supper, when Philip asked Jesus to show them the Father, he provides Jesus the opportunity to teach the apostles about the Trinity. So Philip, very important. Now, in the years following the ascension of Jesus and then Pentecost of the Holy Spirit, what happened to Philip? All right, he ministered to the Greeks, the Greek-speaking Gentile nations. All right, so they believe that he was martyred in Hierapolis, which is located again in modern-day Turkey. All right, and although uh, there may be some people believe that that St. Philip was actually the deacon Philip noted in the Acts of the Apostles. Others believe it is St. Philip the Apostle. All right, so what happened? Tradition says that he, through healing and preaching, he converted the wife of a famous politician, a proconsul. Now, this enraged him, this proconsul, and he had Philip and Bartholomew tortured. Now, Bartholomew is going to be the next apostle we talk about. Remember, Philip brought Nathaniel or Bartholomew, same guy, to Jesus. All right, and now they say that the two were tortured together. Why? Because Philip and Bartholomew were crucified upside down, and Philip preached from the cross as he's hanging upside down. Now, as a result of this preaching, the crowd released Bartholomew from the cross. So the crowd re released Bartholomew from his cross upside down, but Philip insisted that they not release him. And Philip died on that cross. All right, so now in the apocryphal writings of the Acts of Philip, this was in the year 80 AD, where he was, listen to this, this poor guy, he may have gotten it the worst, he was nailed by his feet to a tree, 
hung upside down, and then beheaded. Now, in July of 2011, archaeologists were working in Turkey, announced that they discovered the original tomb of St. Philip. Now, this first century Roman, it was a stone coffin, was found in the ruins of a fourth or fifth century church that was dedicated to St. Philip. So when the archaeologists opened that stone coffin in Hierapolis in Greece, they found no human bones in the tomb. So it is believed that the remains of St. Philip were preserved in the crypt of the 12 apostles in Rome. So if you ever go to Rome, you really want to go to the Church of the 12 Apostles because a lot of them have the remains there. So the remains somehow got from Hierapolis over to Rome and are now in the crypt of the 12 Apostles Church in Rome. Now, the site of St. Philip's grave, though, had become a real destination for pilgrims. And so later, the relics of St. Philip, they believe, were transferred to Constantinople and from there to Rome, as we said, where they were enshrined along with the relics of St. James the Lesser in the Church of the Twelve Apostles. So if you ever get to Rome, that's where you want to go. Okay, now who did Philip bring to Jesus? Bartholomew or Nathaniel, as we said. That's our next guy, slot number nine. So seven, eight, nine. He's the third one from the picture on the right. That is St. Bartholomew. Now it's most likely that his name is also Nathaniel. And he thought the Messiah would come from a more important place than Nazareth. Remember, he's the one who said, can anything good come from Nazareth? So here comes Philip. We found the Messiah. And Bartholomew answers, can anything good come from Nazareth? Why would he say that? Okay, he said that because he thought the Messiah would come from a more important place than Nazareth. Why? The Jews hated Nazareth because Roman soldiers stayed there. This is where all the blasphemers against Our Lady said that, Mary had sexual relations with a Roman soldier because the Roman soldiers were there. Can you imagine saying this about the mother of God? It's insane. Um, and so anyway, Roman soldiers would stay there. So Nazareth, uh, Nazareth was quite an undistinguished place. Um, and Nathaniel himself didn't like it. Where did he come from? He came from Cana. So there was a lot of rivalry between these villages. He criticized Nazareth. And Philip, though, was wise. He didn't get in an argument with him. He just simply said, come, come and see. I found the Messiah. And so let's get back to Bartholomew. He's one of the witnesses of the ascension. We know this from the Bible. And then he went to India, according to to one tradition, but little is known of his evangelization because traditions have him in different areas. Okay, again, we're talking about Bartholomew or Nathaniel. Now, another tradition says that after Pentecost, Bartholomew carried Christianity to Armenia. Okay, and he's believed to have been martyred there by either being beheaded or having his skin completely cut off while he was alive. So while he was alive, his skin was flayed. And in 1809, his relics were moved from the tomb in Armenia to Lapari. And then in 1830, or excuse me, 838, his relics were moved to Benevento in southern Italy. 
Now, in 983, the Holy Roman Emperor Otto III erected a church. Get this. You've ever heard of the Tiber River that goes through Rome? Well, he put this church on an island, Tiberina Island. Again, if you ever go to Rome, asked to go to Tiberina Island on the Tiber, and there was the church built to him. Now, um, Otto dedicated the church to St. Bartholomew and had a portion of the apostles' relics put there. Now, his remains are currently at the church of Bartholomew in the island in Rome. So that's the name of the place. They built it on the island in the Tiber River, and they call it the Church of Bartholomew in the island, because that's literally where he's put. Now, both Rome and Benevento are major shrines to St. Bartholomew. So you might say, Father, I saw him in Benevento. Well, they're both. So Christian tradition has three stories about how he died. Let's listen to this, okay? One speaks that he was kidnapped. What happened to him? He was beaten unconscious and then thrown into the sea and drowned. That was one tradition. Now, another account is that he was crucified upside down, as mentioned with Philip. Remember, we said they were both put on the cross, but the one tradition is they let him off of the cross. So then later he was drowned, is what they taught. But the final one says that he was skinned alive and beheaded, as we, as we mentioned. Now, when you see him in art, you will see him holding his skin. You ever see pictures of St. Bartholomew? He's holding his skin, and he was skinned alive. And so when you see him in paintings, he's holding his skin. Now he's shown with a large knife. And so if you look up on our thing, he's holding a knife. You see him? He is in position number, uh, let's see. Yeah, he's got the big knife. And so what we have here is him being skinned alive, and he's often shown with this large knife holding his own skin. And guess where you can see that? At the last judgment on Michelangelo's work on the Sistine Chapel. And so now he's the patron saint of tanners <laughs> because he was, he was skinned alive. All right, let's keep going. And the number 11 slot is St. Thomas. So 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. The one from the far right. That is St. Thomas. Now, his name, Didymus. That means twin. We know he was the doubter, the doubting Thomas. And the, he wrote very importantly in the apostolic constitutions about needing a feast on the eighth day and the importance of the feast on the eighth day. Guess what the eighth day is? Divine Mercy Sunday. And so this is very, very, very important. And so as we go through all of these, um, these uh, uh, apostles, we want to look at Thomas here as being a patron of divine mercy in a way. Now, in the apocryphal book Acts of Thomas, it gives his history. Let's talk about this. Now, after Jesus died, the apostles divided up the known world and they drew lots. So after Jesus died, the apostles got together. Here's the known world. And they made 11 sections or 12, if you count Matthias. And they said, who's going to go where they drew lots? Guess where Thomas was sent? 
India, but he wouldn't go. It's so funny. You've heard me tell that story. When I was, um, when I was uh, looking to go to Iraq and Father Kaz wouldn't let me go, I wanted to be a martyr. Um, we were opening a house in India and I said, nah, I don't want to go to India. I want to go to Iraq. I was just like Thomas because Thomas said, no, I'm not going to India. And then here's what happened. This is a fascinating story. Jesus appeared to him and said, you know, I want you to go to India. And Thomas said, where you want, send me, just not India. <laughs> That's like, like Augustine, Lord, make me chaste, just not yet. And so he said, Lord, send me where you want, just not India. Well, guess what happened? All of a sudden in Jerusalem, a man named Abenez was sent from the king of India to Jerusalem looking for a carpenter. This is all in the Acts of Thomas, not in the Bible, but still historically worth talking about. So this man, Abenez, comes from the king in India to Jerusalem looking for a carpenter. Now Jesus appears to this man in the marketplace. And he said, I know the best carpenter in Jerusalem. I am his master. So who was Jesus talking about? Thomas. We don't think of Thomas as a carpenter. Thomas was. And so this Abenese comes into Jerusalem in the marketplace. Jesus appears to him and says, I know the best carpenter. I'm his master. And so Jesus found Thomas and took him to Abenese. And Abenese says, is this your master? Thomas put his head down and said, yes, he is. And then said nothing. He knew Jesus got him. So the next morning, Thomas said, Jesus, now I will go. Your will be done. So he went. Now the king in India, after Thomas goes, commanded that Thomas build a palace. And Thomas said he would. He's a carpenter. Now he gave Thomas the money. But guess what Thomas did with it? He gave it all to the poor. So the king was furious and suspicious and called Thomas and asked if he had built him the palace yet. And Thomas said, yes, I have. Well, the king says, where is it? I want to go see it. And Thomas says, you can't see it now. You'll see it when you depart this life. <laughs> so Thomas said, I built you a palace, but it's not in this world because he gave it away. He gave the king's money to the poor. Now the king was angry at first and Thomas was in danger. But in the end, the king actually came around, was won over by Thomas and he brought Christianity to India. That's how Christianity first came to India. Now, tradition tells us that St. Thomas traveled farther than any of the other apostles by going to India. So he got the short straw. Now, in 72, he was martyred. How was he killed? By a Hindu priest that ran a spear through his body. And so the Hindu priest killed St. Thomas. Now, a portion of his bones are venerated now at the Basilica of St. Thomas in Chennai, India. So if you're ever there, that's the place to go. And somehow most of Thomas's remains though, um, remained and they were transported to Odessa in Mesopotamia. Now in 1258, the relics were carried to Ortona, Italy, where they lie today 
enshrined in a golden casket with a white marble altar in the Basilica of St. Thomas the Apostle. But his actual tomb is located in Mylapore, India. So what a great story about Thomas, all right? Let's keep going in the second group of four, Matthew. Matthew is the number five slot. One, two, three, four, five. He's the one with the little child. So the first question we always get is, Father, who's that apostle with the little child? That's Matthew. And the reason he has the little boy is it represents the genealogy in his gospel of Jesus being born of, who was born of, who was born of, who was born of. It shows the genealogy. And he's the one that does the infancy narrative of Jesus, given the detail of Jesus as a child. So we see here Jesus, or I'm sorry, the infant with Matthew. Now, he was also named Levi. He's one of the four evangelists, the gospel writers, but his birth and death are unknown, the dates actually. But um, let's go on. The patron saint of bankers, Makes sense. He was a tax collector from born in Galilee. And all it took was a single command from Jesus, and he left everything behind. Did you all read, go to Mass today? What's the Mass reading from today? The call of Matthew. So, St. Matthew, pray for us. All Jesus did was speak the word. He got up from the table, left everything behind, and followed Jesus. Now, not much else is mentioned of Matthew and the Gospels, except in the list of the apostles. So I'm surprised, but in the second group of four, we have Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and um, Thomas, um, or Thomas and Matthew, I should say. Now, in the Acts of the Apostles, he was present at the Ascension, and afterwards he was in the upper room with Mary. Okay, and so his fellow Jews would have despised him because he was a tax collector helping Rome. And as a tax collector, he would have been very literate in um, Aramaic and Greek. So some say that Matthew's gospel, they question what religion or what uh, language it was written in. Some say it was written in Hebrew or Aramaic and later put into the Greek because the scriptures are all in Greek. But some believe that his may have been written in Hebrew. He was a Jew. Now, others say it was written in Greek from the start because there's no signs of translation. But he would have known these languages. He would have been literate. Now, Origen um, said that it was the first gospel and it was written between 40 and 50 AD and he claims it was written in Hebrew. But anyway, Matthew is often depicted as one of the four creatures of Revelation 4, 7. Let's take a look at our next slide. You ever see that famous picture with the lion, the bull, the human, and the eagle? Look up on your screen. This is the famous stained glass windows. You always see the bull and the lion um, and the eagle and the man. Okay, the first of the living creatures was a lion. Okay, that's St. Mark. And the second is the bull, all right, St. Luke. The third has a human face, that's St. Mark, uh, I'm sorry, St. Matthew. And the fourth is the eagle, that's St. John, because his gospel soars above the others. That's why he was known as the eagle. Now, nothing, though, is recorded of Matthew's death in the Bible. 
Uh, but the church does teach he was martyred, okay? And so he preached to different various communities around the Mediterranean. And you know, weird, they do have tradition of where he was killed. Ethiopia. Ethiopia. And it said there that he was martyred as he was saying mass. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And so he was martyred as he was saying mass. Now in 954, the relics of St. Matthew were moved from their tomb in Ethiopia to Salerno, Italy. Okay. And the relics are there today venerated in a crypt of Salerno's Cathedral of St. Matthew. So if you ever make it to Salerno, Italy, there you will find the relics of St. Matthew. Let's go to our last group of four. All right, we're in the last group of four. That is headed by the other James, James the Less. Now he's in slot number four. So one, two, three, four. He's in the slot number four. And it is agreed by most that he should not be confused with James the Greater, who was up in the first part of the list. Um, that was the brother of James. Now, this James the Lesser is a brother of the apostle Jude, who we will talk about in a minute, Jude Thaddeus, and he came from Cana as well. So you see where most of these apostles came from, Bethsaida or Cana in Galilee. Now, James is the son of Alphaeus, called James the Less, again, because he was young. And he thought by some to be the brother of Matthew. That's fascinating. Some say he was the brother of Matthew. Now, he's the author of one of the Catholic books, the book of James. Most people, when they hear the book of James, think of James and John. Uh, you know, Peter, James, and John went up on the mountain. That's not the James who wrote the book in the Bible. It's this James, the lesser, one of the epistles. Now, it's also known as James the Just, um, the brother of James, the brother of our Lord. But remember, brother of our Lord doesn't mean brother, blood brother doesn't mean sibling, it means any close relative. So they could have been cousins or close family members. All right, now here's what happened. After the apostles went out, he was made bishop of Jerusalem. And this is in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15. And he remained there for several decades until he was stoned to death by Jewish authorities in the year 62. We also read about this from Josephus, and, um, and some others. Now, he refused to deny the divinity of Christ. So what happened to him? The Jews threw him off a roof, okay? They cast him down from the terrace of the temple, but he didn't die. He was still alive. So then they came and clubbed him to death. He still didn't die. And, you know, wow, James the Less, amazing. So finally, they stoned him to death, and he did die. And some of his relics can be found at the Basilica Santi Apostoli in Rome, and is believed that his tomb is located at the St. James Cathedral in Jerusalem. So he's one you can see in the Holy Land. So according to tradition, James was buried on the Mount of Olives, where Jesus had his agony in the garden. And in the 6th century, Emperor Justinian II moved his relics to Constantinople, and at some time, a portion, or perhaps all of his relics, were moved to the Church of the Twelve Apostles in Rome, uh, some of them, where they are today with the relics of St. Philip, 
who we mentioned a minute ago. So some may have been split. Okay, nearing the end, uh, Jude, Jude Thaddeus. He's in the number one slot. He's the very first one here on the left. That's St. Jude. Now, sometimes they called him Judas. So there were two Judases. But Jude, Jude Thaddeus, he was the son of James, um, and he's the forgotten apostle. This is very interesting. Do you know why he's forgotten? He's the forgotten apostle because he shared the same name with Judas Iscariot. Now, St. Jude preached the gospel in various places, but especially in Armenia, same as the other apostle. Now, he's known as the apostle to the Armenians, just like Bartholomew. Now, he suffered martyrdom in the year 65 AD in Beirut, Lebanon. This is where he was killed, but, as he, but he remains, <clears throat> his remains are currently in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Now, among some Catholics, Jude is venerated as the saint, patron saint of hopeless causes, right? Do you know how he got that? You know, you always think of St. Jude, the patron saint of hopeless causes, saint of the impossible. Why? All right, this is fascinating. This comes from the belief that few Christians ever invoked him because of misplaced fear of praying to Judas Iscariot, because they both had the name Judas, and nobody wanted to be told they were praying to Judas. And so nobody prayed to him. Now, because they shared the same name, nobody prayed to him. They ignored St. Jude. And so St. Jude became very eager for anybody who would pray to him and seek his help that he would intercede for him with the most dire situations or circumstances. So you want something? St. Jude is the guy because nobody went to him because he shared the name Judas, Jude Thaddeus or Judas Thaddeus. Nobody prayed to him because they heard the name Judas. They didn't want to say, dear Judas. And so God gave him so many extraordinary intercessory powers for those who did pray to him. So you want to get your prayers answered? Talk to Jude Thaddeus, okay, or Judas, the right Judas. All right, we got just a couple more. Let's go to the number 12 slot, the farthest one on the right. This is Simon, not Simon Peter, Simon the Zealot. And, you know, he was a zealot, so he technically, he should have killed Matthew. Matthew was a traitor to Rome. He was a tax collector, and Simon the Zealot technically would have killed him or should have killed him because a zealot defended Israel. And so it shows Christ can bring anybody together. Now, Simon is often depicted with St. Jude Thaddeus that we just talked about. The two are always shown together. In fact, in our feast days, when we celebrate in the church calendar, it's St. Simon and Jude together. Now he's always with them because they preach together as a team. And this was due because of the tradition that states that they were both martyred in Beirut at the same time, in the same year. And some of his relics are believed to be also at St. Peter's Basilica. Now, here's what's fascinating. Have you ever been to St. Peter's? All right, every year, millions of pilgrims go to St. Um, Peter's in Rome, the, the Basilica of St. Peter's, and they walk right by. They walk right by the altar that holds the relics of the very popular St. Jude, who we just talked about. 
and the less known Saint Simon. So he's another great saint to pray to because he's basically forgotten. Saint Simon, Simon the Zealot. I like him because I like to feel myself as zealous, passionate, and he was for Israel. And tradition says that both the apostles traveled together and preached the gospel where? Persia. What's Persia? Modern day Iran. And so both were martyred there. That's where I wanted to go, Iraq or Iran. And so he was beaten to death with a club, um, Simon the Zealot, uh, or Jude, I'm sorry. So Jude, Jude Thaddeus, was beaten to death with a club, and Simon was sawn in half. Literally, literally he was sawn in half. Now they're not quite certain where the relics were um, and they were transferred to Rome. Now, last one, the number three slot is St. Matthias. Now, St. Matthias replaced Judas, right? And so he was uh, the first act of the apostles after the ascension of Jesus, after um, Judas took his life, was to find a replacement for Judas. So with all of that going on, they chose to focus their attention on finding a 12th apostle. This is how important apostolic succession is. Why is this important? Because the 12 was a very important number to the chosen people, the 12 tribes of Israel. And if a new Israel was to come from the disciples of Jesus, a 12th apostle was needed. And so um, basically 120 disciples nominated two men, right? Matthias and Joseph called Barsabbas. And they knew that both of these men had been with Jesus during his time alive, but one, but which one had the heart to become a witness to his resurrection? And the apostles knew that they, they, you know, that only the Lord could know what was in the heart of each. So they cast lots and to discover God's will and Matthias was chosen. Now he went on to preach the gospel in Judea, Cappadocia, Egypt, and Ethiopia. And he insisted on the need to mortify the desires of the flesh for the peace and joy of our spirits. And for this reason, Matthias is the patron of all those who struggle with addiction. So if you're struggling with addiction in any way, drugs, alcohol, pornography, sex, whatever you're struggling with, he's the patron saint, okay? Um, this being Matthias. Now, some say he was stoned in Jerusalem by the Jews and then beheaded, all right? But Hippolytus of Rome is the one who says he actually died of old age. He was not one of the 12 original. He was voted in. Now, after being chosen as the replacement apostle, one tradition states that Matthias founded a church in Cappadocia and ministered to Christians on the Caspian Sea. Now, it's believed that he died a martyr's death, many others believe, and was beheaded by an axe. So you'll see him holding an axe. Now, all the others here are holding the tools of the crucifixion. I'm sorry, I should have been mentioning that as I was going along. Each of the apostles here are holding the tools of their crucifixion, okay? And so it is believed that he was beheaded by an axe um, at the hands of pagans, and his relics are said to have been brought to Rome by St. Helena, St. Helena. 
And it is said that in the year 326, the Empress St. Helena founded, found St. Matthias's grave in Jerusalem and sent his relics to actually Trier, Germany. And they are still venerated there in Trier's Basilica of St. Matthias. Wow. You know, I got a little extra time. I got a few minutes. Let's talk about Judas, okay? Because he was one of the 12 apostles, all right? But what, what's the story with Judas? So let's finish. I, I realize I got a little extra time. Judas came. Okay, what, who was he and what happened? All right, Judas comes from the word Judah, meaning God is thanked. You know, you hear of Judah in Galilee and Galilee. Well, anyway, Judah is where we get the name Judas, means God is thanked. And it was a common name. Now, Iscariot is not so much regarding family as it may be the corruption of the Latin term sicarius, which means murderer. So they think they added that. And he may have been involved with the Sicari, a radical Jewish group. Now, what was it that Judas wanted? Why was he upset? He wanted to be important. He wanted a position in Jesus' new government. He thought Jesus was going to overthrow Rome. Okay? And um, he thought he was going to overthrow Rome. And... This is the story. Now, when he saw that Jesus did not intend to become a king, he turned on Jesus. He saw nothing in it for himself. And he didn't see Jesus as a Messiah king to overthrow Rome. Rather, he saw that following Jesus would not be profitable, so he figured to at least gain some profit. And he turned him in for 30 pieces of silver. So Judas really represents all those who follow Jesus only for what they can get from him. Right? Not for how they can serve him. Now, what happened? We often think of Judas as worse than the other disciples and always being evil. But if that were the case, everyone would have known Jesus was talking about Judas at the Last Supper when he said, one of you will betray you. Remember, they said, is it I, Lord? Why didn't they know it was Judas? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? They would have thought, it must be this Judas guy. He's always been bad. I know it's him. I don't know why Jesus picked him. That's not what happened. Instead, Jesus, Judas did not stand out any worse than the others. Why? It's because Judas changed little by little without much notice. This is how our friends and relatives fall away from the faith. They used to go to church every Sunday. And then all of a sudden, Sunday a month. And then all of a sudden, only feast days or holidays and days of obligation. Then pretty soon, no time at all. It's like the frog in the pot, Right? You throw a frog into the boiling water, he'll jump out. But if you put him in lukewarm water and then slowly turn on the heat, they say, oh, but I would never do that to a frog, so I don't know. But each one of us could become a Judas, little by little. First, by giving up little things, like neglecting our duties, not praying, 
Um, and then that will lead to bigger falls into mortal sin. Remember the saints tell us you cannot pray the rosary and exist in mortal sin at the same time. One of them's going to give. And so the devil knew that Jesus was the son of God, so he wanted to kill Jesus. All right. Now he thought that this would stop God's plan to save people, salvation. So Jesus, though, what he didn't know is that Jesus had to die in order to do this. The devil didn't realize that. So the devil didn't realize that by Jesus dying was actually going to fulfill God's plan. He just thought, I want to kill Jesus. And so God's plan, though, was Jesus had to die because the penalty for sin is death. And in order to do this, he had to die. The devil didn't realize it. The devil is not infinite like God is. Now, the devil did not realize that Jesus would rise from the dead. So the devil did not stop God's plan, and Jesus did not stop Judas. It was all in God's plan. As a result, Judas took his life. Now, that doesn't mean God used Judas as a pawn. Well, Father, God had to make Judas do it, or otherwise his plan wouldn't have come to be. No. God uses our weakness, brokenness, and our sin to bring a greater good. He doesn't affect our free will, but he knows what we're going to do. God knows every choice I'm going to make until I die, but I have the choice to make it. He just happens to know what choice I'm going to make. It's not a violation of free will. It is free will. It's foreknowledge. God knows what we're going to do, but he doesn't, he doesn't force your will. Now, as a result, he took his life. This is in Matthew 27. Now, Jesus chose Judas knowing who he was and what he was going to do. Judas made the decision. It was his choice. That's why when people say, you know, that priest was a bad priest, that's it, I'm leaving the Catholic Church. As you've always heard me say, we don't leave Jesus because of Judas. Yeah, we've had some Judases. Don't leave Jesus because of Judas. Now, even in the greatest inner circle ever, there were problems. So don't think your family should be without problems. No. Don't think your family should not have problems. Handling him, uh, Jesus handed him the morsel, was a sign of respect. So Jesus had tried again and again to show Judas's affection, to show Judas affection. He tried. Jesus finally gave in to his free will and said, go do what you got to do. Wow. Judas must have been putting on an act of love which deceived everyone except Jesus. All right? So Peter and Judas both failed. But what's the difference? Judas was deliberate. Peter was out of fear and weakness. That is why deliberate hatred or malice is one of the worst sins, but sins of weakness, sins of weakness are not as bad. And so often when people hurt us or fail us, you know, we got to realize it's out of their weakness. Have mercy on them. Um, the real person is not the one who wounds you. They do that out of emotion, say things that they regret, but rather... The one who loves you 
is the true person because that's a decision. And so, you know, Judas is a lesson for us. So being replaced by Matthias, um, we see that, you know, God can take away from chosen nations. They did it with the Jews, took it away. Then it went to Europe. Europe had it for centuries, then God took it away. Then he brought it to the new world, to America. We had it for a couple centuries. Now he's taken it away. Where's it going? Now it's going to Asia and Africa, the last corners of the world. And so let us not let the faith die on our watch. So to finish the ending here, uh, there's a great article by Meg Hunter Kilmer uh, called It's Okay to Laugh at the Apostles, right? Here's what she said. I thought it was very good. Basically said, they're not very bright. They're not very holy. And they're not even very brave. She's talking about the apostles. Remember how all but one ran away when Jesus was taken? Remember how they kept hiding after he died? And remember how they were still hiding in the upper room even 50 days after he rose? They weren't exactly heroes. There were ordinary men that teach us that God can use any of us, no matter how flawed we are. Comparing the apostles from before Pentecost to comparing them to the apostles after Pentecost, she says, teaches us an amazing lesson. The transformation of the apostles and the spread of Christianity throughout the known world, not by violent means, but by preaching, was impossible without the Holy Spirit. Hmm. That's why with Father Thaddeus, Jude Thaddeus, I'm writing a book on the Holy Spirit. I, I know I'm falling a little bit behind. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is the key to everything. When you think of the beautiful work of mercy done by the Trinity, you've heard me say it before, what's the first great act of mercy? Creation. Who do we normally attribute that to? God the Father. Now, after that, what happened? We got broken. So in the second great act of mercy, attributed to the second person of the Trinity, redemption. He, he fixed our wound. We got broken. We broke our arm. He fixed it. But now, in the third, final, and greatest act of mercy, sanctification, to be made holy. Guess who that is given to? The Holy Spirit. His is the only work that isn't complete. God the Father's work is done in a way, even though they're all one. God the Son, when he was on the cross, said it is finished. My work is done. It is finished. I have redeemed mankind. Now it's up to us to respond. Do we cooperate with that grace or not? In order to do it, we got to be made holy. So the third and final and greatest act of mercy is sanctification. Guess who? The Holy Spirit. Now God the Father created the world. Then God the Son came in the world to fix it. But what happened? He had then ascended back to the right hand of the Father. But what did Jesus say? You can do nothing until I send you the Holy Spirit. And so at Pentecost came the Holy Spirit. And I just said, this Meg Hunter Kilmer says, 
Compare the transformation of the apostles before Pentecost to after. She said this transformation and the spread of Christianity throughout the known world, not by violence, but by preaching, was impossible without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the key to everything. And basically, he's the most active now in the world if we let him. Even in the Mass, we sacrifice the priest as in Persona Christi. It is God offering God to God. God the Holy Spirit offering God the Son to God the Father in atonement for our sins and the sins of the whole world. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus resurrected from the dead. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Mary conceived in her womb the God-man. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the Mass. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the concluding doxology, the greatest and most powerful part of the entire Mass, through Him and with Him and in Him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours. Everything is key on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the breath that powers the Word. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is the Word, and that Word is powered by a breath. That breath, that word means ruah, in the Hebrew means spirit. That, that is the Holy Spirit. I cannot be a person. I'm like a mini trinity. You're like a mini trinity. When you think, you're like God the Father. When you speak the word, that word come out is like God the Son. In the beginning was the word, and in all creation, the word was made flesh. Jesus is the word, EWTN, the eternal word, television network. But it is the breath that powers the word. I don't have a word without a breath. The breath is the power to everything. And this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was what enabled these apostles to not die of fear, to not run away, but rather be emboldened and empowered. They learned from Jesus. They were redeemed by Jesus. They were created by the Father. They were given life by the Father. But it was the Holy Spirit that powered them. And if you are looking for a way to power through your sin, to overpower your fear, to overpower your dredges of life, turn to the Holy Spirit. That is why Thaddeus, Father Thaddeus and I are writing this book on the Holy Spirit. This is the key to everything. It took me 10 years of priesthood to realize that. He's the key to everything. And I got a Talk up there on our YouTube channel on the Holy Spirit, who he is, what you need to know. And so these apostles, it could not have happened without them, without the Holy Spirit. They risked everything and they did not get anything out of it. They made themselves look like fools. If they didn't believe in the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit, they wouldn't have given up their lives. They were tortured and executed in excruciating ways, as we just heard about. But they joyfully embraced their shameful death. Why? Only because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, they look, take a look at the fact that the Roman Catholic Church, okay, a big bureaucracy, inept as any as the world has ever seen but at the same time is the longest continuous running institution in the history of the world. How in the world could this bureaucracy called the Catholic Church is inept that the world has ever seen, broken, sinful, yet lasts longer than the greatest empires in the history of the earth? To be the longest continuing uh, institution in the history of the world 
if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what are we doing here? He rose by the power of the Holy Spirit. If he didn't rise, who inspired and strengthened the apostles? If the resurrection wasn't true, why on earth did they throw their lives away? Why? To say that it is true. The power of the Holy Spirit. God chose the foolish of this world to shame the wise. And for this very reason, it was their very weakness and simplicity and lowliness that makes the power of God that much more prevalent, that much more evident. And so God can use even the wise. Don't think he can't. You know, in fact, Brother Mark, I, went, I was working all night on this talk, and I came down from my office upstairs. And it was real late. We were, we were still at the office. It was like midnight. And Brother Mark was saying, you know, how God works, that the wise men, right, when they came to the birth of Jesus, they traveled in these giant caravans. Why? Because God had revealed to them the prophecy that a child would be born, would be born in Bethlehem. They knew it. And so they came and they saw that child who would redeem the world. And then all of a sudden they took it back. When we used to have the crush up here, we had the fa famous three wise men, right? And you put it on the names, their names on the door, Balthazar, Caspar, um, right? And so you, you have um, all the representation of the world. One was from Persia, one was from Africa, and one was from Eurasia. So the world was represented. Well, they took it back so that the, those lands were somewhat ready that when the apostles came, it wasn't completely foreign. God's plan had already been enacted. And Brother Mark was talking about that. And so how beautiful that God can use the wise too. He used the wise men to pave the way for the apostles through the wise men. So he can use anybody. He can use anybody. Now he's paving the way for you. He's paving the way for you. Even if it's nothing more than forwarding this video to somebody you know, or going to mass with your family. That's the most powerful thing you can do. And let the power of the Holy Spirit pave the way for you to do what the apostles did. Will you have to give up your life like they did? Maybe not. But you can give up your will like they did because we're asked to do that every day. Praise be to God for the gift of the apostles. And now hopefully you learned a little bit more about who they are and what they suffered. And so this is a powerful, powerful part of our faith. And so we'd love you to share more and more with us as part of our Marian family. So I'm going to finish by having Brother Mark show a slide up there. If you want to become a Marian helper, please do visit micprayers.org. Um, this is the easiest way. It only takes 10 seconds. doesn't cost anything. You've heard me say, I don't care if you donate a dollar. I mean, I, I always say I do because we need to keep the lights on and the, you know, and, 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 and the priest's ministry going. But if you can't donate, that's fine. We'll pray for you. Just be part of our Marian family. This is what the apostles started. And so be part of it. Now, if you'd like to learn more about divine mercy and our faith, go to our next slide. I have my book, Understanding Divine Mercy. Uh, you can get this on shopmercy.org or call 1-800-4-MARIAN. 
M-A-R-I-A-N, 462-7426. And lastly, if you know anybody who's suffering, especially the apostles can give us great examples, um, pick up my book, it's called with Father Jason, After Suicide. It's not just about suicide, it's about any kind of suffering or loss and how we deal with it. And the apostles were great examples for that. So praise be to God and continue to remain with us as we bring you, hopefully, more beautiful basis of our faith. So praise be to God. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Hi, I'm Father Chris Ayler of the Marian Fathers, and I want to tell you about a grace I hope you don't let pass by. As a member of the Association of Marian Helpers, you can receive all the graces of our masses and prayers and penances just like you were a Marian priest or brother by decree of the Holy See. It doesn't cost anything, and it takes but a few seconds to sign up. Please visit micprayers.org or call us at 800-462-7426. God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.